Good to see you. Good to see you, Andrew. Good to see you, Rachel. Uh, yeah, happy to be was... here. I miss both of you. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm muted on. The... I, I had myself muted on stream again. This is like something I've done oh, twice now. No, no. I was about to say like like this is like Rachel and I like we've like spoken like online. This is like the first time we see each other like on on Zoom. So this is this is cool. I'm very excited about that. We've we've been we've been mean to have some kind of like podcast set up with us too. So I'm really excited about this. Yeah, I'm I'm super jacked. And I mean, the fact that we get to like do something together when I think all three of us like each other's work, I feel like the vibes are really good, even though the Habs vibes were uh, not very good today. Yes, it, it's not a very good vibe for the Habs, but unfortunately for them, we will find a way to have fun anyway, because they seem determined to ruin the fun here. Like I said, the last time they had a blowout loss, I'm starting to feel like this is a little bit personal. I feel like this is them purposely trying to ruin this show because this is this is getting to be ridiculous uh, five games now out of nine that they've been blown out uh five plus goals against it's not great uh, man it, it's just is starting to get to the point where you're running out of things to say for what they need to fix because you you know like everyone knows at this point what's gone wrong we can break that down again <laughs> but uh this is a frustrating team it's it's not good looking. It's you know we had people on the the last podcast that we did, which was like a ten thirty p.m. start. We went live at like ten after one, quarter after one in the morning, and there was like you're being too negative. I was like, you you know that this is a two and six team, right? <laughs> now they're two and seven. They is haven't even managed to get any of their losses into overtime. Be. Yeah, like you have to be able to speak honestly about what's going on. Right. And I understand that there are some people who expected this show to be Steve Dangle, but for the Habs. And I'm not like that crazy where the fandom on your sleeve kind of person. I'm not a huge fan in particular anymore, but like, I'm not going to sit here and lie to people either. You know, I'm going to tell these people who are watching what's going on with this team. Like, tell the truth. Exactly. You know, like, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and give you bullshit. You know, I'm going to tell you what's going on. And right now, the Canadians are a bad team. They're a bad team, and they're earning this. Well, yeah. even if you I, look oh, at it, ahead. like the the one of the big things, apart from like that PK, I haven't watched the Habs like a ton, but I know, like I've seen enough of them to know that PK gave up. It was th- like three for five. Like that's not mm-hmm. acceptable. And then the other glaring stat was the Kings' top two lines today. So the Kopitar line and the Dino line both had an expected goals for percentage of over 75%. That is wild. Well, it's not good for the Canadians. It's good for the LA Kings. I got a little boy who wants to say goodnight. Oh, is he? Oh, are we finally getting it? Oh, not Dylan. We got Miles here. Hey, Hey, Miles. What's up, little buddy? Yeah, you see yourself. That's Miles. Mommy? Oh, my God. Yeah, Mommy's right you. The most positive part of the podcast, everyone. I think so, man. See Night Night Daddy? Yeah, man. This is positive content here. Don't don't expect positive content about the Rutshock Canadians. Positive content in one of Andrew Berkshire's children hanging out with us. Say bye-bye. That's cool. Hi, Miles. Hi, Miles. Hi, Miles. I don't know if you guys can hear him, but he's... Yes. He's talking to oh, you. Oh, yeah, we can hear Also, can we, instead Pop of talking about the hats, can we discuss how cool those tractor pajamas are? So that was more yeah. positive than anything that the Canadians <laughs> did this night. <laughs> yeah, man. This this team, I, I'm ready to call it too, man. They're a bad team. I, I, I was on the, the camp that said that the pieces that they have should have them be a slightly better team than what their record was supposed to show. And not in the sense that, like, oh, they played better in those games in, in Buffalo and San Jose that they should be given credit for. Like, they should not be getting blown out by those teams. But no, off of what we've seen so far, nine games in, maybe this is just who the Canadians are. They're a team that is not able to, to fend off opposing rushes. 
They're a team defensively that is not able to get in position. Uh, we were talking amongst ourselves throughout the game, and you both made astute observations that their neutral zone play is not good. It's a combination of, of bad coaching and the personnel is not there. And I understand that this team is missing a whole bunch of guys who have either left for other teams, like Phil Deneau got himself an assist for, for the Los Angeles Kings tonight. And obviously we know what Carey Price is up to. We know what Shea Weber is up to. But you guys could tell me if I'm wrong. I'm not sure how much of a difference Shea Weber would make. And Carey Price being left out to dry, he could only do so much. It's not as if we haven't seen Carey Price be in a situation where he's played in front of bad teams and he can't erase yep. every single mistake. Like, this is just a bad team. And I didn't think they'd be this bad. And now I I, I I think I'm ready to just call it, just say this is just a bad team. I have not seen anything from this squad to lead me to believe that they could turn this around. No, and well, I, I think that's kind of what's the most distressing about this game is like, I think as much as the LA Kings kind of led the underlying numbers in the first period, I thought the Canes were actually decent in that period. They did some good things, you know, like they showed on the broadcast, like Brennan Gallagher breaking up three different plays in the neutral zone, had, pushing the puck the other way. Uh, I don't remember if it was tied after the first or if they were leading. I think they were leading after the first. It's like they, they were carried, leading after the first. Yeah, they, they carried a one nothing lead out of the first. They looked like they were playing a decent-ish game, and like the chances the Kings were having didn't actually look that dangerous. And then from puck drop in the second period, it was just an absolute slaughter. So it's like this team can't seem to ma- like marry together, shift to shift, a bit of energy that keeps a game going their way. They can't manage it period to period, and they can't manage it game to game. Not that they played great against San Jose. You know, like Jake Allen was absolutely phenomenal in that game. And I don't want to put much on Jake Allen because I think he's been as good as you can expect a player who is signed for his contract to be, but it's been pretty much every other game. He's either phenomenal or he's just okay. And they let in five, you know, and if your goalie is just okay and you're letting in five every time, you're just not giving him nearly enough defensive support. Like, I don't think it was his issue today. He had the one goal where he got handcuffed, but like that was the what four, one goal. Like at that point it's over. There's too many instances like like, of NHL defense and like we're talking like Ben Sherratt going controller unplugged in the defensive zone and that just if you look at how that Montreal Canadiens played defensively on their run to the cup final last year that is arguably what got them there apart from Carey Price they were fantastic defensively they held Matthews and Marner at bay they held Wheeler and Connor at bay they held Stone and Pacioretty at bay and if you really look at it they managed to hold Braden Point at bay in the cup final. The, like the Tampa didn't win because of Braden Point. And then you look at them this year, and like Julian mentioned, their neutral zone is atrocious. Like if you had controlled zone entry numbers, they'd probably be 90% in favor of the Kings today. And so I think when you have someone like Jake Allen, unless you have an elite of the elite goaltender and somebody like Andre Vasilevsky playing behind you, where you can afford to give up that many chances of your D just going controller unplugged, you're going to wear some of that. And if you even look at the heat maps, like the chances they're giving up, I think, what did we say in the group chat today? How many times did they get beat off the rush? Like, like too countless. many times. <laughs> I'll add this too. I'll add this too. Uh, Rachel brings up a really good point. Unless you find yourself in a position where you have an elite of the elite goaltender behind you, you're going to get worn down. I'll add this. You know, not only are these Canadians getting blown, I mean, the Canadians, obviously, they're getting blown out in these games. Not the first time we've seen them lose 5-1 or 5-2. Well, this is the first time I think they've lost 5-2. A lot of these games, they've been blown out and they've only been able to score one or two goals. Yes, they have the two wins on the record where they were able to score more than a goal a game. But for so many of these games that Jake Allen has been in, he's had very little to no run support. And this goes back to my point about Carey Price not being able to erase every single mistake. He can only make so many saves, but if the offense is not able to get themselves going, and I still think that the defense plays a role in this too, and the fact that their transition play hasn't been good, their own zone entries haven't really been helpful as well. And even the guys on offense, like, like Cole Caulfield, no goals to this point. Like it's it's starting to become a bit of a concern. I know Nick Suzuki picked up some assists, but that's a guy also you're looking for him to score goals as well. Tyler Toffoli led the team with 28 goals last year. Nothing. 
You know what I'm saying? Like this offense has also been very dormant and it doesn't even matter if you have Carey Price or Andre Vasilevsky in front of you. If you don't have the run support, you are going to get left out to dry and it's not benefiting the Canadians. They have a defense that's not good and their offense is not scoring right now. It's it's not a great situation. No, so it's not. Does Cole have the yips? Like he looks to me like a player that is not like not even just lacking in confidence, but it reminds me only because it's like top of mind. Like if I think about mm-hmm. back to the playoffs last year, where again, like the Habs are just utterly fantastic defensively. Like Mitch Marner, they basically gave him the yips. Like, and he still has them, right? I think Cole Caulfield, it's it looks like he's double clutching on his shots. They don't have the same amount of zip. And because he's such a young player, and I mean, like I study development, I think they should mm-hmm. really seriously consider letting this kid play three or four games in the AHL so that he can get feeling himself again. You obviously can't do that with Nick Suzuki, but you can with Cole Caulfield. And what is the harm in doing that? No, I don't, I don't think know. there's any harm in that. I don't I'm, think there's I'm any harm in that. I'm not super for that just because I think that there's always a danger with young players where it feels like you're putting it on them, that it's their fault, and that's why they're getting sent down. And like part of it sure is, but I think there's actually been if you've watched like all the games so far which i unfortunately have had to uh caulfield <laughs> has actually progressed pretty significantly with his plays over the last like five or so games like he's still not what we expect him to be but like he's at least trying things like the first few games of the year it was brutal out there for for cole caulfield so it, it's getting better i think i'd kind of rather them just be patient because there's it's obviously not going to happen this year right like the playoffs are not a situation that the Canadians are going to find themselves in it unless something crazy goes like if Carey Price comes back after his uh, time in the player assistance program and he has a heart trophy worthy season then they could pro- possibly sneak That's into what the it's take. but yeah. yeah it's is something that has to happen like that right an absolute miracle you know and we're not in a Disney movie it, it's not going to happen they, they had their miracle last year in the playoffs right and it wasn't quite enough because the Tampa Bay Lightning are absolute murderers but uh, I don't think it's possible to hope for a miracle two seasons in a row. I think this is one of those seasons where you just you evaluate what's gone wrong, you try to build for the next year, and maybe you get Shane Wright out of it. Uh, shout out in the comments in the YouTube chat. There's uh, Sportsnet in there asking if that game was a dang it. Of course it was. Almost every game so far this year has been a dang it. And uh, AO says Miles is a hat pick, and that's true. Miles can is I, a hat can pick. Can I add something about Cole Caulfield? Like, oh, yeah. Of course. He's very sleepy. I just want to say this about Cole Caulfield. I don't know if I'm necessarily opposed to the idea of him getting the opportunity to kind of regain his confidence back in the AHL. I mean, I don't necessarily think that him being sent back is a death sentence. No. I, I, I think just because this is a guy who scored at virtually every level that he's been at in his career, right? Like, I, I just think any opportunity for him to just kind of get that scoring touch back might just help. I think that's just the idea. Just let him go dominate in the AHL and then come back with that renewed focus. Like he, I can't think of any other time, unless you guys know for yourselves, where he's gotten this many games at any level without scoring a goal. And yeah, I think Rachel's right. Like this is a guy yeah. who I think he's, I think he's realizing that you know once those first few games went by, he didn't get himself a goal. Like it just kind of just started getting to his head. One thing I'll, I'll give him. Up until about like tonight, like I, I think there were some games in, in the stretch of the season where maybe he's not necessarily getting the goals in. Maybe there's some other moments where he's kind of brutal, but he's got like a few skill plays in him. Like against Detroit, there was one game where he's taking a puck uh, in between his skates in the neutral zone. And he's basically putting on a show as he enters the zone and just completely embarrassing it to Detroit Red Wing. And the game before he has like a pass from his stomach. Then he completes it, turns into a shot chance. Like he's able to make those plays and his playmaking ability cannot be understated. But if you're not able to get some of those goals in, I mean, I'm, I'm sure, especially for a young player of his ilk, like it's going to affect his confidence. So I don't know if I oppose the idea of him just going back to the HL for like a small handful of games just to get his confidence I just, back. I don't know if the Kings yeah. would do that either, though. But yeah, I, think I think what you're oh, trying ahead, to do avoid like a cock in the Emmy situation where like I don't think they've rushed Caulfield. But they definitely, no. there's no argument that they rushed Kotkinian. Mean, that was super obvious. And the yo-yo thing is a terrible idea. Like, I think you send him down until, if he has to play 10 games, then he's got to play 10 games. The one thing I will say about Cole Caulfield is every single minute I've seen of him, 
he's never cheating you for effort. And I think that like, no matter what, even if he's not getting the same amount of chances and the, the pucks aren't going in, I'm not seeing him lazy on the back check. I'm not seeing him not engaged in the play. Whereas you look and I mean, I think Sammy Niku has been a bright spot, but mm-hmm. that defense kind of looks lost at this point in time. And even up front, I mean, there are many times where I look at players on the ice and I go, where's the effort level? Because I saw what it looked like last year in the playoffs, and this is not that. And so I think with Caulfield and even Suzuki, like some of the younger guys, you're not seeing that out of them. They don't cheat you for effort. And I just don't want to see them punished because the other players around them really kind of some of them look like they're public skating a little bit. Yeah, it's weird because like I think you can look at this roster objectively and you can say it's not a great team, right? Especially on defense. They've got some talent at forward, right? I feel like you need a center, in my opinion, who pushes Dvorak down to 3C. Not because he's not good enough to be a 2C, but because of the way that this team is structured, they need three centers where Dvorak is probably the third best guy. And that's how they're going to overwhelm teams, right? Is have three lines that can really play at a high pace and score a decent amount of goals. So, like, they have the wingers to accomplish that. They're missing that third center. And I think Perot has been full value for what he is. He's just not that level, right? I think he's a guy you put on your fourth line, and he turns that fourth line into a, a line that's very dangerous, right? So there's that that's missing. But even with that, I think you look at them and you think, this team should produce more offense, and a lot of those guys, Cole Caulfield, Tyler Toffoli, Brendan Gallagher, Josh Anderson until this one, right? These are guys that you expect to score more goals at a higher frequency. And you, you could think like, okay, well then they've been unlucky, right? But like you look at the expected goals so far this year and the Canadians have been up at, this game is not counted yet on natural hat, natural, sorry, natural stat trick. But coming into this game, the Canadians were producing 1.89 goals per 60 expected at five on five. I think it's like fourth or fifth worst in the league. I don't think they have the fourth or fifth worst offense in the league, but they're not producing like they should be better. You know, like they're actually still underproducing less than that. Still, they're almost a half goal below that per game. So it's, it's not a good look. And at a certain point, you have to wonder if they're doing things incorrectly from the top down. And as this goes on, we're on game number nine now. And I don't think the expectations were that high this year because losing Weber, losing Deneau, starting the season without Price, there's like all these excuses built in. But how many games can this level of play go on? Where it's not even about the wins and losses. It's the level of play where you're getting absolutely dominated almost every single game. The San Jose Sharks last game, like, yeah, they lost. But the Canadians got wrecked in that game by the scoring chance count. Like... Jake Allen had, what, 46 saves? It was the second most saves in the history of the Montreal Canadiens in a shutout. Like, how long can that go on until the guillotine comes out, and who's it going to co- come out for? Does Antti Niemi have the record? No, Jacques Plante. I don't know why I uh, thought yes. it was Antti Niemi. Because Antti Niemi yeah. came close. But yeah, Jacques Plante, that guy. Some guy, you know, Jacques Plante. Nobody's yeah. ever heard of him. Like, even you look at it and, like, Duran had a great start to the year. Like the first couple games, I mean, I think you can make the argument he was probably Montreal's best player. I think he still has and, been. And, yeah, and the, me too. He's, he, even though he's not putting pucks in the net right now, I still think he's creating, he's transporting the puck. Like he's at least getting some zone entries, right? And so you look at it and there definitely should be, I have some systems questions for sure about how this team plays because that neutral zone four check is non-existent like we talked about and then why are we talk about some some d have bad gaps and sometimes it's just some d but how is it that all six no matter which six are in the lineup have awful awful gap control and that's a super big area of concern because you're giving up entries and how many goals did they get scored on off the rush today how many bad penalties that they have to take because of their rush play. And I think that's, that's got to be, if Montreal wants to clean some stuff up, how they play in the neutral zone and how they defend the rush has to be their number one area of concern, five on five, 
But I wonder, Mark Bergevin is done after this year, at least this contract. So he's kind of like a lame duck GM. So when you talk, Andrew, about like setting up for next year, how do you do that when you have a lame duck GM? Yeah, that's that's like been kind of a through line theme of the show, right? Is what should the Montreal Canadiens do and what will they do going into next season? Because it's obvious that things need to change. There needs to be some building done. But do you trust the guy who's probably on the way out the door to start that process? Because logically, it just makes way more sense to start the search for the next guy now. And if you don't make a move until like February, so be it. But you give them time to find those issues and work with the other teams in the league or the prospects, whatever, to find solutions before you like jump into free agency. You know, like you don't want to hire a guy right before the draft who has no idea what your scouts have been doing. No idea. Like have your pro scouts do the right, like go the right places to find the right players, you know, scan Europe. Like teams find good players in Europe out of nowhere every single year. You know, they might not necessarily be game breakers, but you look at like Ilya Mikheyev in Toronto, who's been a, a guy who they've rolled out essentially every night that he's healthy. He has a solid impact on the game. He has some finishing issues, but other than that, he's pretty decent, good PKer. Like you can find players to fill spots on your team. I, I guess you could say the Canadians did that with Chris Wyden, but he has he's been replaced by Sammy Niku now. But, well, even yeah. like, and I think Sammy Niku is good, but even like Ottawa did it with Artem Zub. And the most extreme yeah. example is obviously Panarin, who is, that's just like a league of his own in that right. But like, you're right. There's stuff to be had, but I wonder, and I think back, so New Jersey did both of these things. They got rid of Lou and brought in Ray like two weeks before the draft and ended up taking Zaka because Ray just like trusted them to do that and like that hasn't turned out for the best but then I guess ownership learned because when they fired Ray they fired him in January and they let Tom Fitzgerald do the deadline so I wonder in Montreal if you know that Bergevin's not coming back do you let him manage the deadline or do you want to have someone in place so that it's their plan that goes into the deadline like what would you want to see uh, I mean, here's what I, I'll I say about this <laughs> yeah. here's, what I'll, here's what I'll say about this uh, and I think it matters here this is not the year for the Montreal Canadiens for them to fire a GM and then hire a guy like two weeks before the draft, which is supposed to be in Montreal this year. Like yeah. we all know how much of a spectacle this is supposed to be. They're hosting the draft. Like, and this is going to be the first one. It looks as if we're, that's going to have people in it in quite some time. This is not the year for the Montreal Canadiens from an optics standpoint to kind of fumble the bag when it comes to how they handle the draft. I think if it gets to a point where, they realize, you know what, they're not going to be able to settle some deal with Mark Bergevin. A lot of people are saying, you know what, it's a matter of money. I'm still just very stupefied at that, considering what had happened over the run, but so be it. If it's not going to be Mark Bergevin, go out and either call Tampa Bay and ask if Mark Metzger Darsh is willing to be that guy. See if there's somebody else out there in your, your contacts who is or someone up on your list who's willing to take on that job because we all know about the credentials that are needed for to, to be a GM in this city in Montreal. Can I ask about that? Sure. <laughs> so I understand the French thing because like with my soccer team overseas, like if you don't speak German, you're literally just not allowed there. Like that's how it works. But in Montreal, would it be beneficial to maybe have at least from a head coaching perspective or a GM, one of the two, like if you want the best of the best, like Barry Trotz, I think we can all mm-hmm. agree is one of the best coaches in the NHL. If he Absolutely. said, I want to coach the Montreal Canadiens, but I don't speak French, would you, like, are you going to hire a much lesser coach because Barry Trotz can't speak French? Or is it worth it to hire, let's say, a fantastic candidate and then Jeff Molson just pays for this guy to get a French tutor? You know what I mean? Like, does he have to be French-Canadian? Or if he's willing to learn to speak French, does that maybe widen your pool of candidates? Because I think Montreal is such a, a fantastic franchise that you want the best candidates And if you have someone that maybe doesn't speak French right away, but is willing to learn, and they're clearly the best person for the job, would you maybe give them a chance? Or do they have to speak French right off the bat? I don't think they have to right off the bat. Sorry, sorry, Julian. Uh, I think that it's one of those things that a lot of people point to as like a crutch for like why Canadians have not found success. And like, there's a lot of really strong French Canadian coaches out there. Like when the Canadians hired Claude Julian, I legitimately believe he was the best coach 
they could possibly have hired at that moment, right? Absolutely. Whether Dominic Ducharme was, I mean, that's up in the air. But I think the Canadians were headed in the right direction with what they were doing with Ducharme and Joel Bouchard, where they were bringing in junior guys, bringing them up through their system so that they can get reps in professional hockey, and then that kind of builds their own stable of French-Canadian coaches that they can hire. I applaud that. I think that's something that Bergevin has done better than his predecessors have, even though it didn't work out with Joel Bouchard and he went to Anaheim. Because that's a guy I think should that should have been the coach. Yes, and there's a lot of people who do think that as well, although I've heard some dissenting opinions about Ducharme and yeah. his I'm so, being yeah, a little bit Bouchard, smoke and mirrors. So, yeah, I've, I've heard some stuff about that too. I'm not really sure which camp to be in on, on the whole Joel Bouchard thing. I thought he got a lot out of his players. but he definitely did. Yeah, I, I think just with the way that it kind of works in, in Montreal with, with a coach or, or a GM, I, I, I guess it's just from having someone from a speaking standpoint just be able to address the majority French fans here. But from what I've seen, and you guys can tell me wrong, but like I think if somebody steps in and they're primarily Anglophone, but they show the effort, of learning the language of French, I think fans can be welcoming and accommodating and accepting of that fact necessarily. I mean, you might have some purists who may be very upset at the fact that it's not French speaking or French purlaine, as we would say in Quebec. But like, I, if, if say for example, I'm trying to think of a GM candidate off the top of my head, but if somebody comes in and they start their conference, just answering questions in French, for example, like, some guys would be like, okay, wow, like this person understands the market. They are trying to make an effort here. And that's that's good from an optics standpoint. But yeah, I also think to Rachel's point, like if Barry Trotz all of a sudden is like, hey, I, I, I'm going to contact Montreal Canadians about coaching the franchise. You'd be crazy to say no. You'd be crazy yeah. to not even give an, an interview because of the fact that he can't speak French. You're talking about one of the best coaches in the National Hockey League. It's, it's, it's a bit of a weird thing. I understand, too, why it has to why it is the case. Uh, but I also think there's talent should be able to kind of outweigh some of that. And in some of those cases, oh. I'm sure some of them would be willing to, you know, learn the language a little bit. And the reason I brought it up was because, like, in soccer, how it works. So, like, Pep Guardiola is like widely right. considered the, the best coach in soccer. Him, Jurgen Klopp, like that's kind of how it is. Pep Guardiola yeah. is the, the man for the job. And Bayern decided that in 2013. That man did mm-hmm. not speak one single lick of German, but they hired him because he was the best guy for the job. And then within two months, he was completely fluent in German. So it's like one of those things where you can hire a guy that speaks English if he's the best guy for the job. And in two months, if he works at it, we see it all the time in Europe. Jurgen Klopp had to learn English when he went to coach Liverpool. I mean, like you have, there's so many examples in European soccer of coaches going and learning Italian. Like Jose Mourinho now randomly speaks Italian, right? And so I think if you actually have people that are willing to put in the effort and you can get the Pep Guardiola of hockey to work in Montreal, you should give them that chance. Like it shouldn't just, it shouldn't have to be a French Canadian all the time because I think Montreal fans would maybe prefer a Stanley cup over someone who's from Quebec. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I I think the only thing that I would do like, and to your point, like if you want to reverse it here, Dominique Ducharme, Quebec, Quebec born person, eventually at some point had to learn English. You, yeah, you mean true. to tell me that all you mean to tell me that all the like Andre Tourigny who's coaching out in Arizona? You don't mean to I mean, I think he's a Franco-Ontarian. I don't remember exactly where he's from, but you don't mean to tell me that there hasn't been this the influx of French Canadian talent, whether it's players or manager or whatever. You don't mean to tell me at some point they they didn't have the opportunity to learn English. Like they they kind of had to accommodate and learn that too. I get English is the dominant language for for speaking in the National Hockey League and for various parts of the world, but if some of those people are willing to make those accommodations, like it'd be interesting. It'd be cool to, to see the other way around as well, you know? Yeah. yeah and I think like I have two minds of it, right? Because you don't want to get too stuck down on the French thing, because I think that there's an insinuation in whenever we say like, Oh, let's look at some non-French candidates that like the fact that you're wanting a French speaking person is like the limitation that's holding the team back. And I, I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think there's been times where the professional level candidates at the time of when you're like looking for a coach, the prospects have been a little bit thin, but I think you can get around that. And to Rachel's point of like, somebody can come in and learn or thir- like there's 32 jobs, right? How many guys that are at that level 
would be so against it that they wouldn't be willing to try. You know, wait, and wait. You'd, you'd want maybe if you're going to do that, you probably want to hire that coach in the summer or like at the end of a season where like you just say, like, live with it right now. And then over the summer, you'll get this intense training program and come into the next training camp and you can understand a little bit of French and answer some questions in French. So it kind of depends. I think for a GM, though, it probably matters a lot less because they don't talk to the media as much. Here's here's the last thing I'll say on this. And this is rather ironic considering the, the like what we've been talking about in this conversation. The best candidate out there, and I know he's not a candidate, the best candidate out there to be the GM of the Canadians is a French-speaking guy. Yeah. It truly hit Brisbane. They it never should like, let him go. Dude, dude, the capologist man that he is. As far as I'm concerned, he's turned the Tampa Bay Lightning into the best team of the salary cap era with the back-to-back Stanley Cup championships through a pandemic or a panoramic or a Pandofla or a Pangea or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Panini. You know what I'm saying? Like, if Panini, Pterodactyl, you name it. Julian Brisebois found a way to make the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yes, he put Nikita Kucherov at LTIR. He <laughs> cheated or whatever. Everyone likes to get all up in arms about that. But he it's found so- a way. <laughs> oh, that's so ridiculous. He found so a way to make it work in a salary cap era. Dude, if right now, I've all, I say this all the time. If I am Jeff Molson, I fly down to Tampa Bay, I meet with Julian Brisebois, I take out the checkbook, I rip out the check, I put it in front of him. I'm like, write whatever you want, bro. Write whatever <laughs> you want. He should be the guy. He should be it. I don't know what the provisions are in his contract with, with Tampa Bay. I know he re-upped for the next few years. He's getting his money, and he deserves his bag. But Julian Brisebois, the irony of the conversation that we're having here in terms of, <laughs> oh, you know what, hey, maybe the guy shouldn't necessarily be French-speaking. The best possible guy who could be leading this team right now is Julian Brisebois, who's a Quebec native. Yeah, and I will say, not hindsight, when the Canadians hired Mark Bergevin back in 2012, I was hardcore on the Julian Brisebois train. A lot of hardcore. So you can go back and look at my articles on HabsEyesInThePrize.com, and you will find Andrew Berkshire was hardcore into Julian Brisebois being the GM. And you know what's crazy is, like, it's totally right. And this whole conversation, I've actually been thinking about that. And the best part about this whole thing is we always talk about the hockey men. Julian Brisebois is literally a lawyer. Yep. Like he yep. is not by definition a hockey man. So like you're giving the, I for one am shocked that the best GM in the NHL has a law degree. Who could have seen that coming? Like <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost like, like being a manager. Molten, like, Tell Tampa you're paying them $10 million as like a we're stealing him away fee. And then like Julian said, give him the blank check. Yeah. Like it's almost like being a manager matters more than being a hockey player. Right. If you're the head manager of a billion dollar company, it matters if you can manage things more than if you played hockey earlier in your career. You can surround yourself with hockey guys. Have all your advisors be hockey guys. That's easy. You know, they're, they're flowing out of everywhere. But you don't have Did to you have your that? head manager be a former player. And that's something that every other sport has figured out, except for hockey. Did you hear I mean, that? We're not, one but there's time. a lot oh, of sorry. other things we also have to figure out in this yes. silly sport. This is true. Oh, yeah. I should oh, say... Sorry, I just uh, want to add this. Okay, go for it. I'll just... Uh, did you hear on that one episode of the CJ show where CJ said that once upon a time in Julian Breezeball's contract, there was like an out where... If he so chose, he could essentially go to the Canadians. There was like an out in his contract yes. that pretty much allowed him to go to the Montreal Canadiens if a vacancy came up. That should make many fans very upset. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. When I heard that, I was like, ooh, there are going to be Canadians fans upset at that. Yeah, because I doubt he has that out now. I, was like, I, I think the league provision <laughs> is like, in order to be hired to another team while you're under contract, there has to be a promotion involved, right? President of hockey operations, call it. Yeah. Game. So yeah, you have to give him president and GM, which I, is he president and GM of T- Tampa? I don't no, know. He, he's like, I want to say in Tampa, he's GM and like something hockey operations, but it isn't president. So you have like, you have some you can have a team president, but then you can also have a president of hockey operations. Right. What, right, you could so just you could make up a new position for the Montreal just, Canadians, like Sultan of Kicking Ass. I don't care. You can do something and get him out here. You know, like, and to <laughs> to Julian's point earlier on, I'm actually glad that you brought up Matthew Darsh because he is a guy who is like people don't realize how bright Matthew Darsh is. Oh, he's good. 
And like Darsh, like he got a lot of crap when he was in Montreal and people thought that he was just there because he was like a French journeyman. Like his underlying numbers in Montreal were fantastic, really underrated scorer. And he was a guy that didn't do it with a lot of like speed to his game or like an incredible amount of skill. He was just a really friggin' smart player. He kind of like, it reminds me of like Jeff Halpern late in his career when he was with the Montreal Canadiens and he was just an incredible smart hockey player. And coincidentally, when those two were together, I believe the Canadians had the best fourth line in the league. Like it was just like an absolute killer. So I am very for looking at uh, Matthew Darsh as well in some capacity, whether it's GM, if he's ready for that or some other capacity, steal him away from Tampa Bay, because what, what is it with Tampa Bay being better at attracting Francophones than Montreal? Like what's going on there? Uh, Come on. I mean, dude, they already have snowbirds going there in the winter. Uh, are the snowboards? Are the snowbirds scouting the queue? I, I mean, look. I mean, come on. They were. They've been able to get all these great players from there. I mean, we, so behind them, the it, scenes, little yeah. secret on Tampa Bay oh. and and the queue. When I was like in behind the curtain, one of the things that I learned while I was there was there were a couple teams, or no, there were more than a few teams that didn't even employ a queue scout because there's like a bias against the QMJHL, which I'm actually currently writing about. Um, And Tampa Bay actually has a dedicated scout that only scouts the queue. And then they send both their assistant director of amateur scouting and their director of amateur scouting there more than any other team. And they build relationships with coaches and players. So like Alex Baraboulet had offers from other teams, but he chose Tampa because Tampa had already started speaking to him for a couple of years. And so Tampa really actually has a, it seems like they've identified what's kind of come out in my research and the fact that the Q is actually very good at producing skilled players and they just have this bias against them. And Tampa's identified that as an inefficiency. And so I think when you see that, it's like, okay, well, we're, we're going to get Francophones on the ice. We're going to get Francophones in the front office. And it's because we make a dedicated effort to the market inefficiency that is Quebec. Man, if you look through the history of the, the Tampa Bay Lightning, should probably man, be doing that. <laughs> you look through the history of this organization, whether it's Julian Breesbar or not, but like some of the best players in or just people in that organization have to do with the queue. Vincent Cavalier are one of the best players to come out of the queue. Brad Richards, I know he's not a francophone guy, played in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Martin uh, Louis seemed pretty good too. Yes, he was pretty uh, he, decent. He was, a, he was a U.S. college guy, still a Quebec he's, guy though. Yeah, he's a Quebec guy. Like. Yep, Laval guy. Uh, Ben Rock Grew, I think, was coaching in the queue before we ended up in Tampa Bay. Now coaching for the Syracuse Crunch still. Uh, Alex Barry-Boulet, who if if the Canadians found a way to claim him now, a lot of people would be freaking out. They had Yanni Gord for all those years. I believe he's a queue guy as well. Finds himself in Seattle, but he meant a lot to that team when they were there. Yep. (laughs) It's wild to me. Like, And that fixes. We talked right off the top about the Montreal Canadiens needing three centers. You have Philip Deneau. Look what he's done for Kopitar in LA. Kopitar doesn't have to take those selkie minutes anymore because that's what Deneau's there for. And Kel Surprise, Kopitar is scoring now because he just gets to run roughshod over other centers. And like that's exactly what Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield could be doing if they just kept Philip Deneau. Yeah, and that was yeah. so obvious tonight how dominant Kopitar was when he didn't have to worry about being the number one defensive guy, like he was unbelievable tonight. Whether it was just those quick passes, like he was finding seams, creating seams, drawing multiple guys to him to draw penalties. Like, yep, that's Kopitar at his absolute best, right? Like he was just incredible. (laughs) So I think let's talk about like, if we can muster a few, because I know people want to hear some positive things. Let's try to frame this game a little bit, or at least some things that happened in this game. And it's some kind of positive manner for the Canadians. Uh, they got absolutely dummied in the final 40. But I think people who saw the LA Kings as a one, I think they were one, five, and one coming into this game uh, team, thinking they were going to be an easy team to like fight against for the Canadians because they were only two and six. Uh, that's not really the case. Uh, the Kings coming into this game were 10th in expected goals for percentage. Like they've been incredibly unlucky so far this year so the fact that they broke out against the canadians who are a very weak defensive team not actually that surprising and maybe it's not as big of a death blow to the canadians as like people might assume 
with the way that the standings have gone for the LA Kings. So there's that. It's a very rough thing to take as a positive. But the fact is that the LA Kings are actually quite good, especially at even strength. So there's that. Um, what else did I think was good? I liked uh, Mike Hoffman on special teams. You know, uh, he has this ability to make things look really easy and calm around him. Uh, I joked in the group chat that we had before the game that I thought he was like their best puck moving defenseman, which because he was kind of playing <laughs> on the back point though, there. Mike Hoffman on the PP tonight and just like generally is so good. Yeah. And then you look at him at even strength and he had 13% expected goals for percentage this year. And I'm like, or this game, that's really, so I look at it and, and I'm like, you're clearly the best player on the power play. How does this not translate? Mike Hoffman can figure out a way to translate that to five on five. Like it's going to be fantastic. Yeah. I mean, that also comes down to Suzuki and Gallagher having to carry the bag a little bit defensively. Right. Like yeah. Mike, you can't expect Mike Hoffman be, to be the guy who's breaking up plays in the defensive zone or even in the neutral zone. He's got to be the Thomas Tatar on that line. Not that Tatar, I think Tatar's much better defensively than Hoffman, but Hoffman's better offensively. So you kind of have to take that trade off and allow Hoffman to be himself. But I'm just, I'm consistently surprised at how calm he makes things look when he's handling the puck because it just looks like everybody else is handling the puck like a bomb and he just has no like panic in his game. He almost looks lazy because he's so calm, but he's not lazy. Like he, he does the right things in the offensive zone. It's just, you got to get the puck there for him. It's the other 160 feet yeah. or whatever. That's the problem. I thought Sammy Niku was good. I don't know, Julian, what do you think? Like, I thought he was by far their best defenseman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and I think he's been that. Uh, it, what's kind of crazy to me seeing Sammy Niku uh, not only be as good as he's been, but just with the way these power play units have been, you know, deployed over the last few games, like we're normally seeing Jeff Petrie being the guy and he's expected to be the team's best defenseman on this team. Like people for years have been banging the drum that Jeff Petrie is the best defenseman on this team, even while Shea Weber was there. And this year now, I don't feel a lot of those people are being vindicated in that way. It's very telling that pretty much since Sammy Nico has been in the lineup, I, I don't have the numbers of, of the way the power plays time has been deployed between those two defensemen, but a lot of times, uh, for my money at least, whenever the Canadians are starting out on the power play in the offensive zone, Sammy Niku is getting that first shift up. And that first power play they got today, Sammy Niku was first up. And plus he drew, he drew, he drew a penalty early on in the game as well. Like I, I think for, for my money, he's proven to be their, their best puck-moving defenseman right now. I don't know when that means we'll see Chris Weidman back into the lineup. I'm not sure what's up with Jeff Petrie either. I, I, I don't know if he's hurt still, or, or I don't know if he's dealing with something, but I, I don't think he's necessarily been their best PMD to this point. But Sam Niku, I think he's done okay. Another positive, I just want to mention, I thought at least uh, on the Canadiens' goal they scored, I thought Christian Dvorak and Josh Anderson showed some good speed and they were able to make something happen. Josh Anderson at least has goals in back-to-back games. So the, it's not as if the, we, there are no positives from this game. Just obviously the negatives just outweigh the positives. Yeah, far outweigh them, unfortunately, <laughs> which has kind of been the case all season long. And like at least they were able to score multiple goals, which, again, is damning with faint praise. But this is the first game that they've lost where they've scored more than one, right? So it was scored at a moment in time when it didn't matter anymore. But got to grasp onto something here. (laughs) There's not there's not a lot to look like. I'm looking at my Ben scored. Yeah, Ben Sherrod scored. I mean, he was goal of the year, same spot. That might be the only good thing he did the entire game. He was firing darts all game though. Like I I will give Ben Sherrod one thing. When he actually tries to do stuff offensively and he drops the shoulder and drives the net, he can kind of create chaos because he's so big, right? He actually does skate really well. The problem is, like, oftentimes it's him taking the shot, and I just wish it was anybody else taking the shot. No offense to him. He did score, and he's got two goals. I think that's, like, tied for... No, I mean, uh, Matthew Perot has the team lead with three. But tied for second on the team in goals, Ben Schrott, which is... Doesn't Mike Hoffman also have three? Mike Hoffman also has three. He's oh, yeah, Mike Hoffman also games. has three. You're right. He's so Hoffman three and Perot are tied. Yeah. yeah. Well, Hoffman and Perot are tied with three goals each, and Calgary has two seven goal scorers. That is yeah. not good. I saw that the other day. I mean, Alex Ovechkin already has nine. Is he good? I think he might be. Yeah, he seems to be. Jury's out on that one. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> if he can break Gretzky's record, then we'll call him good. 
Yeah. <laughs> he's an oh, absolute man. monster. This guy right. is ridiculous. He's like 38 years old, and he's just like, sup, I'm going to score a goal a game. <laughs> Legend. I hope he breaks that record oh, so yeah. badly. I want nothing more. Not only just break the record, I want him to be the only dude that has 900 goals. Like, yeah, I want him to I be want that. Yeah. Give, a, give me 9 0 0. That would be amazing. Like, especially to do it in this era, right? He needs the Yager treatment where, like, no matter what, he gets to play until he's 95 years old until he breaks that record. Because I think, like, we look at age curves and the things that go are, like, skating and endurance and durability. But, the like, he's not going to be able to be as physical. And he still isn't as physical. But what we're seeing is, is the guys who can read the play get to keep playing in the NHL and the guys who could shoot the puck get to keep playing in the NHL. And Alex Ovechkin can most certainly shoot the puck. Well, that's, that's like my thing with Ovechkin, right? Is like, he's kind of transitioned into like later years, Brett Hall, right? But Brett Hall was still an effective goal scorer until he was like what 39 or something. Like we haven't seen the last of Ovi. He's one year, I guess he's almost two years older than Sid, right? So he's, going to be 37 at the end of this year i would assume because crosby's going to turn 35 right. next August. next year yeah. yeah these guys are getting old yeah this i know man that's my draft year sid's draft year so i'm feeling old already but uh yeah i, I think we've got a lot left for Ovian. like if he's just allowed to be the power play guy later in his career he's still going to be able to score 30 his shot's just so sick, and he's not shy about it. And I was worried this year coming into training camp, he got hurt. You know, you start mm-hmm. the season, you're another year older, and he never gets hurt. And I was like, Ugh. and then he's like, no, don't worry. <laughs> <Not kidding. laughs> I got this. I'm going to lead the league in scoring again. My eyes closed. You know, like, <laughs> he's just, he doesn't care. So I, I love it. I applaud like, him for it. We're 15 years into his career and no team has figured out how to stop him on the power play. It's like, yeah, we know it's coming, but like, yeah. It's just inevitable. You know, you can only hope to contain the Ovechkin spot. Yep. Yeah. It is undeniable. I love that man. The hockey player. He's, uh, he's going to break yeah, the hockey, the hockey player. I, I like the hockey player a lot. Yeah. I mean, I don't know him personally, so I can yeah, only say we have to. Play. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I like the hockey club. And I like that he shows personality. Like we could use that some too. of that in the game instead of yeah. this like milk toast, whatever. That commercial with Backstrom mm-hmm. that they did to start the season <laughs> oh, for like an insurance wow. company. And it's like the best bit of PR the NHL's had in years. It's, it's really good. It's one of the best commercials I've seen. You hear the long like slurp from, from Nicholas Backstrom. I did not expect him to be the funniest guy in that ad, but. Well done, Nicholas. Yeah, he did very well. The only ad, the only NHL ad in recent years that I thought was comparable was last year when like Uber Eats uh, rolled out the Patrick Waugh and uh, Mario Tremblay. Mario Tremblay yeah. ad. And it was like, they had different uh, setups in both French and English. And it was, mm. it was just a fantastic ad. And then that I still folded into the, like, the uh, RDS remember, interview. Like, remember like, I want it might have been like 15 years ago, maybe like it was definitely more than 10 the like all-star game where they got like the Sedins and Crosby and, and whatever. And then the end of the commercial is like walks in and then there's like pizza. And he just goes, oh, yeah. like, what happened to that? Can we have that? Yeah. Or oh, even oh, like, right. do you remember the NHL ads they used to do? That was like NHL players are just like us. And it was like Joe Thornton trying to butter a piece of toast with cold butter. And he ripped it. And he's like, <laughs> oh. but didn't like, what was it? Like Dustin Penner, like pull his back making pancakes or something. Yes. I'm like, just use that. In the <laughs> Yeah, eating pancakes, he messed uh, up his back. As someone with a bad back, I empathize. But uh, yeah, I think uh, there's probably not much more to cover on this show. I've had a lot of fun with you guys. But uh, I think a lot of people are watching uh, the Leafs game. So we'll check out for now. If you want to find Rachel and Julian, you can check the description in the YouTube video or in the podcast. And you can find their Twitter handles. Uh, before I let you guys go, though, uh, first Rachel and then Julian. Tell us what you got going on this season. I'm doing the uh, Staff and Graph podcast. Uh, we're going on a bit of a break because we got something fun coming up in the new year. And you can find me on the Daily Faceoff podcast once a week as well, talking about analytics. And I'm not writing this year because I'm writing a thesis. So we're just going to have to wait till that's done. And I, hopefully I can make it public. 
Awesome. Shout out Rachel, man. Just doing just doing big things all the time. Uh I and have Julian, the... can you within an hour, can you fit in all the podcasts that you're on? Literally, here's a list and unfurls. <laughs> okay. I'll, it's I'll like the Chris like Jericho 30... thing where it's like you're added to the list, but it just it <laughs> unrolls and it's like a scroll a hundred feet long. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I'll 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 give you guys the condensed version just because I like you guys. Uh Chris Johnston show twice a week on the SDPN network. Mondays and Thursdays, uh, CJ already sent out a tweet uh, asking you guys for questions. We'll answer them on Monday. New Zone Time episode on Yahoo Sports every Tuesday, every Wednesday, I should say. We record Tuesday, goes out on one Wednesday. Uh, Hockey Inside Out every week as well through the Montreal Gazette. And uh, check out my work with The Athletic. Every Friday, I have the Canadians Plus Minus column where I basically look at the games over the last few weeks for the Canadians, over the last few days for the Canadians, and see uh, who was good who was bad and who was too difficult to call. So yeah, check out all my work there. And uh, I hope I was under a minute. Do you sleep? You might have been. <laughs> you know what's crazy? I did not sleep that much tonight. So no. <laughs> well, you know what? You're not going to be sleeping much between now and the next time you're on, Julian. Because I don't know if you know this, Rachel, but November 13th, Julian and I are going to do this show after the Red Wings Canadians game. And we're going to do the oh, Hot Ones Gauntlet live why? on stream. <laughs> Why did I agree to do oh, this? God. I'm going to be in New Jersey that night. So you guys enjoy that. And I will <laughs> have drinks on your behalf in either New Jersey or New York City. We'll see. Drink a tall <laughs> glass of milk for oh, me. Yes. Very tall glass of milk. Maybe a big bowl of yogurt or something. I don't know. Something like that. I don't know. I don't know why I agreed to do this, but I wouldn't do this for anyone else other than Andrew <laughs> Berkshire. Well, Thanks, good buddy. luck with that, gentlemen. I definitely would never have joined you on that. <laughs> right. Thanks, guys. We'll be back, I guess, tomorrow. Uh, it's going to be a later uh, stream tomorrow because I'm going to take my kids out trick-or-treating after the game. So it'll be around 9 p.m. Eastern that I log on and uh, talk about the Canadians against the Ducks tomorrow. So that'll be fun, maybe? I don't know. We'll figure it out. But, what if? Uh, what if? What if? By tomorrow, while you're trick or treating, the Ducks have Jack Eichel. <laughs> I mean, not he that he'd be playing, playing, but like, <laughs> you think you think it's the Ducks? It could it could be Vegas. I feel like it might be the Ducks. They seem to be like lying in the weeds, and they have like prospects, current players, picks, and they could just be like, wham, and they're bad this year. So it's not like they need to rush Eichel. True. I just that was just a fruit for fruit thought. I yeah, I, I've been pushing the idea that the Canadians need to do it. They've got the assets. I, to, I, to I make said it that in the summer. I like it. Get it going. Get it going. All right. Thanks, everyone, for watching. Thanks, everyone, for listening on the podcast version. And we'll see you tomorrow.